Hello, and welcome to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur, where Hayut Yogev speaks with entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs about reaching or missing the critical point of approaching the right customer with the right message at the right time and place. The point where business success starts. And here is your host, Hayut Yogev. Rich Omis, episode 153. Hey, my riches. I'm Hayut, and it's Monday again. My guest today, Jeff Barrett, said when I asked him about his biggest failure, I would like to think that my biggest failure is yet to come. I feel like the harder you work, the higher you fail. I welcome the idea that over time I will get bigger and better. With higher stakes, I believe that the failure will expand. I loved his answer. Jeff Barrett has traveled to nearly every state writing about startup ecosystems. He has won the Shorty Award, is a Webby Award nominee, and the creator of dynamic campaigns and influencer networks for Fortune 500 clients, including Adobe and Oracle. I had fun listening to Jeff Barrett. I believe you would too. Jeff Barrett, what a pleasure to have you here. Hi. Thanks, Ayut. Thanks for letting me uh, have a conversation here. <laughs> it's so great that you are here. And I just shared with my audience what you've done until now. And I would like you to share with us what are you doing and most passionate about today and where are you heading? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Such an existential question, right? Where am I heading? Um, you know, where I'm currently at, I've been in comms for 15 years, running my own agency for nine, had the pleasure of working with really great places like Adobe and Oracle and and Microsoft and Starbucks and, and Structure and Purple and a, a bunch of other places. So I'm I'm very hashtag blessed in who I work with and you know the word of mouth that spreads in, in working. It's one of those things where I don't think I necessarily I always set out to do stuff in comms and social media, but I never necessarily said it's gonna be B2B tech or it's gonna wind up in these three or four cities. It just kind of happened that way. And then the intentional stuff that I did is I, I went on a tour of 40 plus US cities, uh, writing about startup ecosystems. So I wound up in cities like Cincinnati and Tampa and Denver and Birmingham, Alabama, where I probably wouldn't have had business interest or, you know, typically been doing things and now I've made these amazing contacts and kind of opened up um, opened up a whole nother, you know, lane for my business. But um, what was the idea there? What made you just uh you know, leave home and start to look for new people, new contacts. How did it happen? I mean, besides shamelessly wanting more business. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, you know, I had a, a couple good conversations with mentors about if they had to do it all over again, they wouldn't build large firms. They'd build small pockets in, um, you know, small areas. So, you know, Havas, um, old CEO, Marin Salzman kind of talked to me about this. And, you know, so I had a lot of mentors telling me, um, that might be the better path rather than trying to build a big agency. So I didn't build a big agency. I just built a, an agency that has pockets in a lot of different areas. And I mean, 
you know, I, I was blessed enough to have a big enough following and be able to write for places like Inc. and Entrepreneur that it got me in the door, yeah. right? So you get in the door and then you start providing value. Um, the, the biggest thing I learned even after the first city in Pittsburgh is that I, you know, if I just took the time to completely block everything else out, lock in and learn from really cool people in a city for three days that, you know, you might, you're not going to be an expert on, on that city or, um, you know, necessarily what's going on, but you can at least distill that down to kind of a general theme. And so I've always gotten a pretty good response on, on the articles I write because I, I get it down to the theme. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to talk about, and it's hard, the more you do that to kind of differentiate it, but every city has a different feel, different things they're doing. Um, so I try and capture that. And then, you know, over time you just build up good relationships in a place and you, you build it and turn it into more business. So the idea was really physically going from town to town? I think that's the only way to do it, right? I mean, we can obviously connect digitally and there's a lot of us and I have a lot of great, amazing people that I work with that we've never met in person. We're in different countries. We're in different parts of the world. But if you're trying to kind of establish, um, you know, this was a, a reconnaissance mission, yeah. really. It was to go and see... You know, just go go see all these cities for a variety of reasons. Maybe I wanted to live in a different city at some point and really understand that. And now I know exactly where I want to go. But also, you know, be able to learn from people, um, understand. Uh, you're just not going to understand how to navigate the internal politics of a city or open up another, you know, pseudo branch unless you're there. Um, and you're able to, you know, at least have a, a, a cursory knowledge of how that city connects and who the who the power brokers are and aren't. And what are you focusing on today? Are you still going from city to city or well, I've run out of cities. <laughs> um, and and to be honest with you, that was a that was a two-year grind. Yeah. So I'm I'm very happy to just get on my bike and ride for 100 miles <laughs> and uh, you know, do everything remotely. Um, the nice thing about being able to, you know, do what you want from wherever you want is you should take advantage of that. Cause I think I've, I've been, you know, doing that for nine years, but I fell really? victim to just doing it from my couch for a lot of the time. So this at least got me out, got me more yeah. active, but, um, yeah. So now I, the travel's down, but I still stay connected here with, you know, 15 plus of these cities and I, I work with them and I, I still travel to them. And so now I've kind of become more specific and, in my travel. What is the main thing that you are doing? Oh, so I mean, obviously, I'm a communications uh, uh, firm. And so we place content, uh, you know, 50 plus publications, you know, dozens of, of news outlets uh, for video. Um, but I, I look at every client and just assess, um, you know, not can we hit a certain metric for you or some arbitrary stat line, but, you know, can we do something that builds on your reputation or um, helps you launch a product or, you know, does something to, um, you know, change and boost the affinity of that organization. And so, you know, yeah. do it a little bit differently in the sense that uh, I don't believe in press releases or mm, wow. <laughs> boiling down what I do. Well, I boiling down what I've seen in the industry and what I've evolved to is this. It's an inherently inefficient process. If you try and craft the best five paragraphs and send those to a person you don't know. Now, if you think about that just in a vacuum, 
you're not going to get a lot of results, you know, even if you have the best pitch possible. And I've learned this being on the other end, writing for places and getting those pitches. Even if you have the best pitch possible, if you don't have the relationship and you don't know the right people and you don't have some kind of mutual or reciprocal value, then I can't really expect you to want to cover that. I, I agree with you. You know, for years, I said that if I had, and it was like that, that if I had one dollar, I would have put it on public relations. And this was right, but it was right to the old industry. It was right to the places when everybody knew everybody, and it all was about the connection with the media. And uh, right. And today, it's not. It, it doesn't work anymore. Well, and you know, and I remember being a young account executive at a bigger firm, and you know, knowing, hey, we're charging this place, you know, tens of thousands a month, and they're working with me. You know, I'm the I'm the account executive attached to this client, and I'm going, well, at that point, I didn't have as many contacts or as much leverage as I have now, you know? Yeah. So I looked at the industry and went, well, what is wrong? What is inefficient? And how can I change that? And so, you know, there's a, there's a funny thing about social influence and in, in which um, I might get lumped into that category sometimes, um, but I never consider myself an influencer. I consider mm. myself a person who built up a platform to create leverage and reciprocal value to make sure that I got my client's stuff covered. Okay. Um, so, you know, so that's why it'll be funny. You won't necessarily always see me on a speaking circuit or necessarily doing the same things you see out of other influencers. And not that I knock it, it's, it's great. Um, it's just, that was never my, um, that, never my full intent. My full intent was to get on Twitter, make some jokes, build up a <laughs> build up a large enough following that it would make my life easier, and it has. And uh, I would I would strongly recommend it if you could just go out there and grab three hundred thousand followers, go do it. Hmm. Who are your clients today? Yeah. Who are you focusing most on? Well, and we still have the bigger companies, so the Adobe's and the Instructors and Purples, and we've we've got some fun concentrations in in cities like Cincinnati and Salt Lake City that I I never would have thought of a couple of years ago, but um, we're also doing a lot of uh, white labeling for other PR firms. So PR firms that you know have bigger clients know what um, know that they need to get some stuff executed, and we're able to turn things around in a you know in a short time for them. Wow! So it's a uh, yeah, it's uh, you know it's it's no ego involved in that. It's happy to help uh, you know other places in the industry and. You know, it's uh, kind of just a model that we stumbled into, and uh, we'll keep we'll keep pursuing it as long as it's advantageous. I mean, I I guess there's probably a train of thought that says um, you should just go out and do that for more clients instead of helping you know other places in the industry. And I would I push back that I'm not trying to grow a hundred million dollar firm. I'm one of one, <laughs> and I have partners. But um, you know, that's not my 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 goal isn't to grow. Um, incredibly large, although yes, we will always, um, we like money. Um, it's, it's that I really <laughs> am more interested in, you know, who's, who's the right fit, um, and what I can handle on my own. Right. And then that means that I don't have anybody else I have to, to answer to, and I can execute it the ways I think are best. Do you say one day, I want to be an entrepreneur? Do you see yourself as an entrepreneur? 
No, uh, still don't. Uh, I looked at it this way. Um, I was a director of marketing for United Way. I was working in uh, nonprofits, so I was clearly not trying to make money. Um, I just had a passion for, you know, community organization um, and done a little bit in politics, too. And I, I made an assessment in 2010 that said, well, right now, I could keep working at this job where everything's kind of slowed down. And I loved the mission, but I wasn't getting an opportunity to really execute on things. So I, I thought, well, I could keep doing this or I could get 0.75 of a client make the same amount of money and probably be less stressed. Now, it's all the stress you want, right? There's stress in being an entrepreneur, there's stress in being in a job that you necessarily don't love. Um, so it's the stress you, it's the stress you choose. Definitely. But I ultimately made the decision uh, as a reluctant entrepreneur that I think I can go out and get one client a year. And I thought that that stress was better. And then over time, it turned into two and five and 15. Um, you know, if you do, mm. if you do good work and, um, you know, it, it'll, you know, it'll follow. Sure. So you're not an entrepreneur or you don't see yourself as a clear entrepreneur. Who is an entrepreneur? How would you define an entrepreneur then? I mean, I am in the sense of what I'm doing and, you know, starting a business and going out there and seeking my own business. So I am, I just... I still don't even, you know, nine, 10 years later, don't self-identify. I, um, mm. you know, I think of a person that, you know, would have happily been a, uh, you know, a vice president at some, <laughs> some big organization if that mm. opportunity had presented itself and it didn't. And it made me stronger and made me fight harder. And I think an entrepreneur is somebody who realizes there's another path defines that path for themselves and then has the courage to act on that. I agree with you. I agree with you. It's a question that I'm dealing with a lot, with a lot of clients, with a lot of people. And I see a difference uh, between building a one-to-one -one business or one-to-one -one client business or trying to scale to something that wasn't exactly exist at the past, but I think today everyone is building around themselves something that wasn't exactly exist yeah. because they are different and that's what you are doing. And I want to ask you, what would be your best advice to any entrepreneur out there that feel they really didn't find the breakthrough or are looking for the next breakthrough uh, regarding their customer focus? marketing or sales. Yeah, it, it's going to have to start with passion because you're going to need to be, whatever angle you're pursuing or whatever thing you're doing, you're going to have to be passionate enough about it that you're going to be willing to do it when you get told no 50 times in a row. And that, mm. I mean, that's tough. And they don't write that in the brochure. They don't, you know, there's all these, you know, sexy pieces done about entrepreneurship, <laughs> how amazing it is. And in all actuality, it's a grind. It's always a grind. And um, it is it's nice to know other people who, I would say the two biggest things are know other people who are going through it in like industries or, or not so that you've got a, you know, a support system of people that you can talk to that can kind of lift you up and get you through it. And you can talk about shared experience. And then the other thing is, before you ever get into the space, before you ever start something, plan it out, right? 
um, you know, plan your angle, sure. <laughs> identify, you know, so I planned for six months before I jumped into this. I started building up my network. I started figuring out all the things I wanted to do so that I could hit the ground running. Um, that's, that's key because you're going to need to know, and obviously things will shift and pivot. I've pivoted this business four times in nine years. It will pivot again, but you're going to need to have a clear defined path. And, and some good contacts to get that thing rolling. Um, and the, you know, the thing with it is if you just jump in without doing that, that groundwork of identifying who you are and where you want to go with it, you'll get frustrated. And this is why, you know, 90% of entrepreneurs quit or go back to something Fair. else because yeah, that's, sure. that's part of it. So I think it requires, um, it, yes, it requires a leap, but I think it requires more planning than the courage to take the leap. Because once you've prepared and planned enough, it doesn't feel like a leap. It just feels like the absolute only decision you should be making. That's right. Hmm. I know you, you've got successes. I mean, there are a few successes that we can talk about and we will in a minute. But I would like you to share with us and to tell us what is your biggest, most critical failure oh, yeah. with customers? The one that affected your entrepreneurial journey the most or almost the most? I would like to think that my biggest failure is yet to come. And that's a weird way of saying it, but I, I feel like the, the harder you're working, the more you're going to fail. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I, the, the bigger the stage you're working on. So I welcome the fact that I will probably, you know, uh, over time, get bigger and better and higher stakes. And I'm sure there will be a bigger failure on the list. Um, I, so I remember doing something with Pure Michigan nine years ago where we did this really amazing video, um, got everything lined up. We were young, but we, uh, we premiered this tourism video. We went with Chrysler and 50 we went with Christ, in a Chrysler all over the state of Michigan, 50 different cities in seven days, filming uh, wow. a great team. I was, I was on a great team doing it. And uh, you bond really well for seven days in a car together when there's four of you. But, um, you know, <laughs> so we, we had the high of getting this thing premiered at a Detroit Lions game. And, you know, this was still a time in my career where it was just Michigan-based, just starting out. Um, okay. and we, you know, everything went well the first couple of days. YouTube pulls the video after we're a few million views in already because, uh, there's one, uh, copyright, uh, claim. So we had talked to a couple of the artists, uh, Owl City and Carly Rae Jepsen. There was one other songwriter that we didn't know of on the song who put in a copyright claim. So the video got pulled. And so we had to look at that client, you know, wow. in this case being Pure Michigan and go, well, we far exceeded all of the metrics. We got you millions of views. We did all of this PR stuff. I mean, it was all over the place. We had a coordinated effort of getting, you know, press before, during, and after. So at the end of the day, we hit all the metrics. We were super proud of that. But yeah, the video got pulled. And at the end of the day, that's still a loss. Um, that was a valuable lesson in, um, you know, being more organized for sure, which I always kind mm. of, uh, uh, keep to this day. And I'm always very cynical about everything I'm doing. And I'm like, well, how can this thing explode? Um, so let's, mm -hmm. let's double check and triple check. But I think that that taught me a good lesson in 
um, how to be prepared for almost anything and then realize you can still prepare for anything and stuff will still come your way. Sure. I loved you say that my biggest failure is yet to come. Hopefully. It means I'm still working. Beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, I love that. It's beautiful. And um, now I would like to hear the story about your biggest success as a, the greatest or most significant success as a result of the right customer focus or something that you did right about approaching your customers or marketing yourselves. You know, I, again, same answer. Hopefully, I, my biggest success is yet to come. <laughs> um, but of course, you're right. You're right. <laughs> again again yes yeah common theme well also i'm sure everybody answers that question in a way and i'm trying to answer it differently so i'm more fun um, <laughs> sure. but no i think uh you know we did a program with adobe called hack the bracket for two years where you know we were consistently you know combination of adobe sensei ai and adobe analytics where you know um Mark Booth was really great on this, um, championing it through. But you know what was created was um, Adobe's multi-million-dollar, you know, enterprise analytics was opened up to the general public um, in a very B 2 C fashion, so that they could use it to fill out a, a March Madness bracket. Um, but um, you know that silly function got a lot of people trying out the product and the end result was you know tens of millions of dollars i think it's something in the 40 to 50 million dollars worth of sales off of one small project um you know and i think that a general theme i've always kind of worked on with clients is you don't have to be the biggest sponsor you don't have to be the um you know the biggest spender in the room if you just hit the right note and do something um that uh is you know, a utility or a tangible function for people. And in this case, you know, that was better than running any commercial. If you could just get people using something that they thought would help them win a $20 office pool. Um, so it's just kind of understanding people's motivation. And that's probably a common theme across any, you know, any awareness campaign I, I run today. And what exactly was your part in that? Yeah, so... Uh, did you do it by yourself? Was it... No, no. Obviously, there's always... What was it, that the, the code that you cracked? Uh, the... Just concepting that out and identifying what that would look like. You know, not not the technical specs necessarily, but you know, knowing what we'd, um, you know, what would resonate the most with people. Uh, I like to think that I'm not intelligent in everything. I just have a really good pulse for what I think people will gravitate to or what yeah. people will enjoy or, you know, alternatively what people will think is BS. Um, and so if you, if you know that and can kind of distill there and, um, you know, disperse yourself away from hitting metrics. I mean, yes, all that stuff's important, especially you need to run it up the chain to the CMO and make sure you justify what you do. Sure. But everything comes down to basic human psychology and um, mm -hmm. empathy. And if you can empathize with what people want out of something and what will drive them to want to engage with it, then you start from there and work your way into what that program will look like. I love that. Actually, um, actually, this is uh, usually it's, it's, I think, the number one advice that we get. And also, I always say that um, marketing is um, magic, but it's very clear magic, and it's all about looking at things from the point of view 
of your customer or consumer because the action and the money you are looking for is in their pockets. And we tend to forget that, or entrepreneurs usually don't even uh, learn that uh, often. So yeah, it's all about knowing how to look at your customers from their point of view, not from your own. And data, and data can tell you a lot. So even though I base a lot of stuff off feel, I will still then make the hypothesis and then test that out with a lot of data to reinforce sure. and, and double check. So I'm, I, I like to think of myself as a hybrid of, uh, of both feel, feel and data. And probably the more I work, the more I, I trust and um, use data to kind of inform my decisions. Yeah, that's exactly. Your feel is based on a lot of things that you learn from the data. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, can you recommend the best or most effective technological or digital tool that's related to customer focus, marketing, or sales? However, I'm not looking for the last shiniest tool in the endless list. I'm looking for something that really works for you and helps you succeed. Well, that's fun. Um, there are a lot of good client tools that I won't plug, um, but they're all great. Um, since it's not a client, PandaDoc is amazing for contracts. So I just I use it a ton to to do simple contract work because it's I, I always think like my favorite tools are the things that help me in the areas that I am least interested in. So, and yeah. contracts, and I, I, I tend to be the kind of person mm-hmm. that's like, oh, let's just get going. We'll have somebody else figure that out. Because I'd rather, I'm, <laughs> I'm focused on the work and I'm passionate about the work and I'm not necessarily, so I'm like, I'm not passionate about taxes. I'm not passionate about contracts, but they're all useful and, and necessary tools. Um, there's a lot of consumer tools that I think are, are super interesting too, but that's, um, that's probably my favorite what? one right now, PandaDoc. P-A-N-D-A-D-O-C. Okay. But it's it's just a really in, easy service that uh, helps me create and send and sign all my contracts in, in one fell swoop, which allows me to not have to hire somebody to do that, and I can just handle it on my own. That's great. PandaDoc. Yeah. We will have it, the link in our show notes. And, you know, there are many things that affect one's success. However, I believe that for each of us, there is one thing that really makes it for us or helps us to succeed. And I want to ask you, what is your one key success factor? My key success factor, I think, well, it probably is still the same for for anyone. For me, it's just perseverance. Uh, You're going to get told no. You're going to reach dead Mm. ends. And I think the, the defining characteristic for me or anybody else is that um, you know, it's funny, like if you, if you do improv classes, it's always yes. And right. To continue mm. that improv going, you need to say yes. And, and I think, <laughs> I think business is no. And it's hearing no and going, sure. But what about <laughs> but. this, you know, and, and figuring out, okay, well, that's fine. Let's pivot. Um, I've developed over the years, and this has also affected my personal life, but it's, um, I've developed an ability to quickly pivot away from something when it's not working. Um, to not hold on to something that isn't there, to, to understand that, okay, if 
you're being told no, there's a reason and don't, um, don't pursue mm -hmm. that, figure out a better reason rather than asking, you know, cause I mean, the definition of insanity is asking somebody 10 times to do the same thing. <laughs> That's right. And it's very interesting because I think, uh, you're unique in that, that you are talking a lot about the future. People tend to talk a lot about their past. But when we're talking about business, you are all the time seeking or thinking about the future. Very interesting. I, I have to. I have to because that's inherent in my business. My business forces me to do three things. It forces me to always think about what the future angle is, uh, what is the next platform that people are going to want to be on or discuss or talk uh, about and, and get coverage on. Um, but it also forces me to um, it also forces me to be uh, friends with everybody, never burn a bridge because that's PR. And so, mm -hmm. you know, even it's it's also um, I'm well suited because I'm from the Midwest. So we're very, <laughs> we're very good at, um, you know, being polite and and actually meaning it. Um, so, the, you know, it's it, it. So it always is making me think about it. I'm never thinking necessarily in that moment. So if you know, if I, if it's an uncomfortable conversation or it's this or that, I'm always just thinking about, okay, well, how do we get to a better point, hmm. you know, in the next conversation or the next thing, or how do we get this client in a better position? Love so it. I, I, you know, and, an intentional rose colored glasses always aimed at the future. And uh, I must say that you, you promised three things. And I think that you said two. You said what the future will be, well, the same, being friends with somebody. And I don't mind or go for the two, but uh, is there anything else? That I think you want I to... kind of combine. I think I can kind of combine two in, into one there. But uh, but that's that's in it as a whole. That's basically what I have to do. Okay, great. <laughs> that's great. Before I ask you what's the best way to connect with you, I would like to ask you my mountain question. Yeah. And as my listeners already know, I've been always imagining this journey in the mind of the customer as climbing a mountain, step after step, studying or planning how to climb the mountain, and then building this uh, awareness and the know, like, and trust, and then building the brand and finding the next mountain. And at some point, I started to ask my guests, and that's what I'm asking you whether they ever climbed the mountain or wished to climb the mountain, or do you have any relationships with mountains at all? I'm so glad. Yeah, I'm so glad we did this podcast now and not like three weeks ago. So I actually... Uh, oh, so, I, so you have a story. <laughs> yeah, so I did. So I was in Phoenix uh, last week and I was with my cousin um, and we uh, we did Camelback Mountain, which is not, I mean, that's just a hike. Oh. It's a couple hours. It's super easy. I mean, we were in the company of like eight other bachelorette parties. So it's not necessarily like, <laughs> um, you know, it's not a high intensity thing. Although there are some times when you have to put a put a hand in a hold or a foot in there and you got to kind of traverse and you realize, ooh, I'm going up 2,500 feet or 2,000 feet and I could definitely, you know, tumble down this thing. Um <laughs> but I think the the like the very literal thing about climbing a mountain now, especially something like Camelback that's right at the right at the tip of Scottsdale and you get this amazing view, but it's also highly trafficked, is that um, you know, I we're kind of all, you know, especially me, um I I was probably ninety percent doing that just for the Instagram story. Um and ten percent to actually <laughs> live that. 
And over time, I kind of started putting the phone down and stopped stopped documenting it, um, which I think is still good, but I stopped documenting it on the way down and just started to kind of try and take it in and enjoy it because I didn't know when the next time I'd be, you know, that high up or have that view would be. Um, and so I, I tried to live a little bit more in the moment. Um, but it's it's funny that doing something like that can just give you a profoundly different headspace, which I think is is necessary, can make you feel a little right. bit differently about things can give you some perspective, both literally and figuratively. Um, but, um, you know, so I'm trying to be conscious now that I, I live in the moment. Um, I still document it a little bit because that's always going to be a part of what I do, but that I, mm, that course. I, you know, I take in the scenery a little bit more, which I think is a, an analogy for both literally when you're actually enjoying mm. stuff, but also if you're not enjoying or taking a step back to appreciate where you are and where you might be, then you're not really living. So I, I'm trying to do that, mm. that more and appreciate, because I think I, you can always aspire for more. Um, and I know that's very easy for me to say at a point in my career where I'm pretty content. Um, and I probably wouldn't have had that epiphany eight or nine years ago when I was you know, struggling. Uh, to to make it, sure. but um, but I think my my 2010 and 2011 self would be pretty mad at my 2020 self if it wasn't actually actually <laughs> enjoying um, where I am now. Jeff, what is the best way to be in touch with you and to connect with you for? any of our listeners that would like to be in touch? So LinkedIn and Twitter are easy. It's Bear at all, B-A-R-R-E-T-T-A-L-L. Um, or, you know, direct Jeff at statuscreative.com. We will have all of this in our show notes. I would like to thank you so much. It has been a pleasure. I enjoyed it very much. Well, thank you. I, I enjoyed it as well. And um, 40 minutes definitely flies by. So if anybody's made it to the end of this podcast, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for reaching out. Really appreciate it. Have a great day and take care. You too. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye-bye. And for you, our listeners, until the next time, it all goes down to this. You either reach or miss. Keep reaching your goals and vision. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Reach or Miss show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur. You can find all the information, links, and resources that was mentioned at the show in our website, reachormiss.com. See you next week.